Yeah, yeah, right. The Godfathers. <laughs> and I gravitated towards Dan because his was much more practical and grounded, in my opinion. And I still think so that Dan's just the blue collar marketer. Um, he really fits for the small business owner and his philosophy that running out on Monday, get paid by Thursday, deposit the check so it clears before your pay check for the ad on Monday clears Friday kind of thing. <laughs> so it's just real tight um, restrictions in, in the small business world. So here's the big question. Have you ever been so financially frustrated from years of poor financial decisions only to wonder, why didn't they teach me in school anything about how to manage money? I've spent the last 20 years learning the secrets to how money really works and how to use it to get financially free on a goal to retire early. I've realized how much of an impact we could have on the world by teaching financial literacy, entrepreneurship, and a successful mindset. Join me as I interview some of the world's most successful business owners, coaches, and parents to get them to share their secrets on how you can not only learn but teach these lessons to your kids to become financially free and impact your children's financial trajectory so they can avoid the frustration and go on to do great things. I'm Cody Laughlin, and this is the Money Talkers Podcast. All right, welcome to another episode of Money Talkers. I have uh, Josh Long here with me today. And uh, he has got a very, very interesting background. Uh, we actually became friends because we had a ridiculous amount of uh, mutual friends. And so we set a new record for me. Time. You, uh, I'm surprised <laughs> you're, you're not me with that many contacts that we had in common. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I, I'm not sure if this is, uh, this has got to be a sign. So, um, and we're just kind of chit-chatting here and, and finding out we've also got some other uh, things in our background that are very similar, but... Uh, I want to introduce him as the uh, as the man with the breakthrough uh, system. Basically, he owns uh, BottlenecBreakthrough.com, um, where he's been helping business owners unlock sustainable growth uh, since 2008, um, when he worked with Chet Holmes to help him launch his consultant agency. Quickly became the marketing director of Business Breakthrough International with Chet and Tony Robbins, and since has worked with other uh, leaders like Jay Abraham, Dan Kennedy, Perry Marshall, and Keith Krantz. And for those of you that don't know those, some of those names, those are heavy, heavy hitters. So yeah, those I'm are all the, to, the, the joke is those are all the guys that all the people you look to learned from. That's it. They're it the, just means I'm old. That's the all originators, it is. Right. They're OG. Yeah, I'm just old. <laughs> You're just the OG of internet marketing. That's what it is, right? Right. <laughs> well, uh, man, listen, thank you for coming on. I appreciate you being on Money Talk. Yeah, my pleasure. Um, so I guess uh, one quick thing we kind of start off with is just, you know, how did you get to meet with all those people? Like, where did you start from? What's, what's your, where'd you start? Yeah. So it's a great question. I was getting an MBA, uh, waiting to get into med school and I didn't even know what MBA stood for. And then found out there was an entrepreneurship track at Fresno state. They were the second in the nation to come up with one behind Babson college. And I decided not to go to med school because I met my wife and every doctor I knew that was married before med school wasn't married after med school. Ooh. And um, I had a friend whose dad was a neurosurgeon and I went to him for advice. I loved business. I loved medicine. I loved surgery. And um, he says, you know, it's not what it used to be. Go the business route. And so I did. And getting my MBA, finishing it up. Uh, one of the best things that our program director there, Tim Stearns, um, 
taught me was networking. He just, the guy was magnanimous at networking. And so I, I started a mortgage brokerage, uh, like half of California in 2004. And, and Florida, me included. Yep, yep <laughs> California and Florida, the, the nut jobs of the country. That's when it it. We make the all the best news days. <laughs> Yes, yes, Florida man did this, right? Yeah. <laughs> so know, that one guy gets a lot of press. I don't he know. He does, Florida that Florida man. man so. Yeah, he's, he's a crazy bastard. Awesome, so. that gators. Yeah. So the... Um, in interesting thing was having my mortgage brokerage, I realized early on that I didn't know how to market and I didn't know how to generate clients and I didn't know how to manage. And even though I had an MBA and the MBA was really great for networking and for finance and for doing spreadsheet analysis and figuring out bookkeeping and all that stuff that it, MBAs do. But I knew there was so much that I didn't know. And a friend of mine, actually a client of mine, um, handed me a CD and it was a Dan Kennedy CD. And I just gravitated towards it. And then my father-in-law was a big Jay Abraham fan and he gave me some Jay Abraham tapes. And so I got heavy doses of Dan and Jay around 2004. You couldn't have picked two better though. Yeah, yeah, right, the Godfathers. <laughs> and I gravitated towards Dan because his was much more practical and grounded in my opinion and I still think so that Dan's just the blue collar marketer um, he really fits for the small business owner and his philosophy that run it out on Monday get paid by Thursday deposit the check so it clears before your pay check for the ad on Monday clears Friday kind of thing <laughs> so it's just real tight um, restrictions in in the small business world and so I, I just dove headlong into Dan's world and ended up becoming one of his business advisors in 2007 with him and Bill Blazer and started in my marketing world. But right around then, August 2007, IndyMac gets, uh, goes under oh. beginning of the end for the oh, mortgage that business. A, that just put a chill down my spine. <laughs> right, yeah, the run on the bank in <laughs> you IndyMac You know that name, August. that, that yeah. and ABC, American Brokers Conduit was the other yeah. one that, uh, that hurt real bad. What was that, uh, did you get the emails? What were the, uh, the implodometer? Mm -mm. You have the mortgage no, photo meter. I didn't get any of that. Oh, yeah. It used to track the banks that were closing. And like, I remember one day it was like 33 emails came across my, uh, my outlook. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I mean, so, so the bottom fell out for me, right. As I was getting heavier into marketing and with Bill and Dan. And so I, uh, February, 2008, my daughter was born January, 2008. And a week later, we're meeting with a mentor of mine from grad school who became our bankruptcy attorney. Oh, wow. Um, so yeah, I was just, there was no way through it. So from there, I had had enough network with um, Bill and Dan. And then I'd gone through Michael Gerber's Emith um, program that was really solid on systems. And to me, I needed that because I was a harebrained ADD entrepreneur. Yeah, wing it, right? Um, yep, that yeah. just all new ideas could see 10,000 steps down the road, but didn't know the next step to take. And so that summer of 2008, figuring out what the heck I'm gonna do, I uh, reached out to Chet Holmes. I really liked his book, The Ultimate Sales Machine. And I got hired right away. And um, we arm wrestled over a bunch of different stuff. And I had a couple other job offers that I was leveraging him against. And he ended up um, offering me just carte blanche, whatever I wanted in his company to uh, figure out how to help him grow. Because I clearly wasn't just another lackey that was going to be on the phone closing deals. And so the... I helped him launch a consulting division because he was getting so many leads from his satellite radio ads. 
and I was the first guy in that division and ended up being the youngest guy and ended up becoming his right-hand man to de develop all the strategy for clients. And it, I didn't know why, I just thought we got along fine and um, we enjoyed brainstorming together. But I realized in the process that I just had a unique ability for connecting dots and coming up with um, great strategy for, for clients, for marketing, for their business model, for their sales process, whatever. It didn't matter. I, I could do it. And it, I was 29 and all the other consultants that came in were over 40. And, and this, is a, this is a business consulting firm, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's a business consulting firm. We're charging 160 grand for an engagement minimum. Um, it's 2009 at this point and late 2008, early 2009. And then he lands Tony Robbins as a partner because he just was chipping away at Tony for about a decade. And Tony was licking his wounds because his business was taking some, some beatings. And so they launched um, Business Breakthroughs International together and then launched their Business Mastery event. And Chet came back from that and they offered me, they asked me to be the marketing director of his entire company, which was doing about eight, eight or nine million at the time. Um, Bunch of different I, got, services. I got a question for you on that. So when in that uh, in that period, like you talked about, the beginning of 09, middle of 09, it was kind of like a rebirth time across the country. Um, I became a commercial banker at that time. Uh, and so I'm, I'm curious if you had similar experiences, um, because I would have people ask me all the time, what kind of business should I go into when I was a commercial banker? Because everybody was kind of like scared about their jobs and mm -hmm. didn't know what's happening in the economy. And then like people started like thinking like, okay, you know, what's kind of a good business? And uh, I used to tell people it doesn't matter what you're in because I had companies. I had 300, almost 300 companies in my portfolio. And then in, uh, in the beginning of 08, and by the middle of 09, it was down to 75 that qualified for having a commercial banker, which is mm -hmm. $25 million in revenue. And uh, what, I, what I realized that time was it didn't matter the actual like industry you were in. It was how the behavior of the owner uh, handling the, the loss of revenues handled it. Like if they knew their numbers, I felt like my loans were going to be pretty good because I was alone. I'm basically checking on the bank's loans. Mm -hmm. and, uh, but I saw similarities of business owners more than I noticed like industry uh, successes. Did you see yeah, that? For, for me, it's a both and um, because like the um, – there are industries that die. I mean, yeah. we see them all the time. And so being a great business owner in a dying industry um, is no badge of honor that I want to wear. Yeah. Um, so it was a both and like, I, I remember talking with a guy that was in the auto industry at a car dealership in LA and he was losing his mind. And it, I mean, he was managing it well, but he was frustrated because I, I, we were trying to talk about marketing strategies and he's like, what marketing strategies are going to sell more cars when we were selling in 2007, let's say LA County was selling um, 5,000 cars a month. And now they're selling 90 a month. Like he says, <laughs> he says, what did, what, what marketing makes a difference when people aren't buying cars? Yeah. And so it doesn't matter what in what, how great of a business owner you are, if yeah. no money is coming into your industry. I would say that too, but one thing I saw though is when I saw people coming down, so the ones that were sticking in the industries, right? Um, if their revenue was down 20%, the adept business owners I saw 
were cutting expenses 20%, if not more. And they had hard conversations and realigning personnel, which was normally the one that was the people didn't want to deal with as a business owner, because that's the hardest by far. Um, And then they had a keen eye on their numbers. Like that was one thing that like, if I sat down and I said, Hey, you know, where are you at this month over last month or this month over last year? It was like, give me a second. Or they knew the number. If they said, let me call my accountant and find that out for you. Uh, then I was like, it was, that's where the, the radar went up. Like, oh man. So the people I saw doing that when it came back in 10 and 11, as their industry went, they went up, there were less competitors and then they were making more money mm-hmm. because they'd reset all their costs. They'd gotten. Yeah. I mean, I had a client that no. civil engineering firm, they'd been in business for uh, 31 years and they hired me in 2012 because they were kind of stagnating and they'd survived. Um, they'd gone from about 4 million down to 2.2 million mm-hmm. and 4 million was about their peak in 2006, seven. Um, and then the lowest was about 2010 it was about 2.2 million. And they're just kind of hovering around there. And so, yeah, they survived and all the four partners took pay cuts and they cut back their team and they owned their own building. So um, they could cut back their lease payment and stuff like that to themselves. Yeah. Um, so yeah, they survived and then it was just a matter of, okay, reorganize and, and grow faster, um, as the market re-expands. And now that last year they just clipped 10 million for the first time. So in 2019, so great success, great case study, but yeah, I mean, it, 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 well, see in my, in my opinion, then they would have, and this is what we're going to talk about. Like, what do you do in a, in a bad down market, but it's what they did before the down market when they were getting big, they own their building, they cut their lease, they do all that stuff. So, you know, to the car dealer guy, like if you have a very solid base and you've, you've amassed a good strong balance sheet and you can sit there with cash in the pocket, the guy who's been spending every dollar that walks in the door is going to go out of business and you're going to grab his cars, you know? And there's all, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, of course. And I think it's the, it's, it's also like, I've seen guys where, they get so much value out of their company. They pull so much cash out that the minute it starts turning negative, they just close the business. Yeah. And yeah, so point. I, I had a buddy that um, very successful entrepreneur had multiple businesses. And one of the companies that his wife ran was a high end furniture retailer and a really high end um, uh, retail facility in Northern Fresno. Um, when I lived there back in California and they were pulling out, I want to say, taking home about 300 a year out of it. And, but their lease was 25 grand a month for a, a, a mediocre sized retail um, center. And it was 2007 and he had six months left on his lease and he saw the writing on the wall, what was happening. He could tell the numbers. They weren't negative yet, but he broke his lease, paid an extra hundred grand to get out of it, liquidated all the inventory and walked away and they moved to Idaho um, and live a great life there and has restarted multiple businesses. But that was a business they had for about 10 years. And so he moved quickly. Like you said, they make the hard decisions. They do the hard things and they don't just ride the ship um, uh, all the way down like the Titanic. So I, I think that's the part that a lot of business owners struggle with is their identities wrapped up in these businesses. I know I suffered with it in the mortgage business and I, I was the band on the, uh, on the Titanic. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You're, like. you're playing. T- <laughs> I just got, I saw it. I saw it watching it slowly just, uh, flipping over like, Oh, we're going down. Like, let's keep playing. <laughs> yep. Yep. 
Well, so uh, for so, for so me, what, it's it's really oh. seeing it's really seeing that nimbleness and tracking the finances, like you said, but then the willingness to make the really hard decisions in yeah. the face of uncertainty because yep. we never have all the info that we need. And business doesn't care. It, we, we, you you get emotional yeah. and we get attached to it and all that stuff. It doesn't care whether your feelings are hurt or you're not. So you kind of have to learn that hard lesson of being able to just make that tough decision because you have to make the right decisions mm -hmm. because it doesn't care about your emotions, you know? Right. Um, all right. So from there, um, how did you, how did you end up to where you are now? Where basically, basically you've gotten into, um, you know, growth coaching, right? Is that, and then you're looking at this hyper growth. So I know that's one of the things that like, that's that you focus on um, now is, is fast growth. And so how did you, yeah, well, the funny thing is, is it's, it, it's in the internet marketing world. It's not fast growth in real business. It is fast growth. Um, it's I'll go into that. I want to, what, what do you mean by that? Yeah. So I, I did a project for uh, my buddy, Keith Krantz, and he's does a lot of Facebook ads training. And one of the things that we were doing on the application was asking the prospects who wanted to hire Keith one-on-one -on -one to help them help coach them in their optimizing their Facebook ads. It, it was, wasn't enough to have his agency manage it. They weren't big enough, but they weren't small enough to just self-serve and go through his training. That's um, a tough spot. <laughs> yeah. And so he, he really loved coaching. And so we were talking and um, I was like, yeah, I can help you build that out. And so one of the questions was how much do you want to grow your business in the next 12 months? And it was like, 10 to 25%, 25 to 50, 50 to 100, 1 to 2x, 2x to 5x, or 10x plus. And the thing we found was all the people that said 2x or 5x or 10x or whatever don't have a real business. They're, no real business is going to 10x. I know Grant Cardone does a good job of um, hyping around the 10x mindset. But Well, uh, that and a lot of them talk about revenue. Um you know, as opposed to uh, what you're actually making, <laughs> you know, which is a real oh. weird concept for a lot of people who do this stuff. You know, they're like, oh, I right. did a million dollars. Like, but you spent 990000 to do it. You have a $10,000 your job. Like, Well, that's the famous internet marketing launches. We did a $3 million launch, but we gave out 50% in affiliate commissions. And then 40% of the people didn't finish their payment plan. And then <laughs> we had 80% marketing cost. And I mean, it's just, it's, it's ridiculous. <laughs> the numbers that, yeah, I, I to me, the gross revenue of most small businesses doesn't matter as much as the net revenue. Yeah. Um, it's net profit. So um, when I started working with clients on being able to just look at their bottlenecks, I just started seeing patterns since 2006 of doing my own consulting and then working with other companies. I just started seeing patterns that it, there's certain revenue plateaus and there's certain bottlenecks that are common at those revenue plateaus. And if we work on them and fix them, growth is inevitable. Now, you don't have to grow your company. I found a lot of business owners that just turning it into a cash cow is, is great. And yeah. so you can free up a lot of time, reduce your stress, maximize your profits, and have a well-oiled machine that serves your lifestyle goals. I got a client, she's been working with me for five years, and we've doubled her from a million to two million. But the growth isn't the goal. The goal was upgrading everything so that she now last year she i think she calculated she took 11 weeks of vacation traveled internationally they have no debt um they own their building um that's a they, fortress 
yeah, I mean, yeah. they're bulletproof for sure. And, you know, um, uh, and, and you mentioned something there uh, on the debt side. Um, if there's a downturn, she'll be okay. Right. And that was one of the things I needed to learn is that I was, I've had a hundred, I, I did, a, I had a company that had 110 employees. I have absolutely no desire to ever do that again in my life. It was, I mean, it's 110 problems every day, you know, from before the before I'll challenge you to solve you. business. I'll challenge you on that because it just depends on what the business is and what your goals are and what you're yeah. doing. Well, your um, dealership guy, that's what I did. Okay, sure. Right. Uh, yeah. yeah. I, own, I, own I would never own a car dealership. It's a horrible <laughs> business model. It's not the 110 employees. I'll, I'll, I'll even take I would it say one the time hundred, worse. It, mine, was an RV, mine was an RV dealership, which is even worse. Because oh, yeah, those were a nightmare. Yeah. yeah, I mean, those, those things At least the cars come and the doors don't fall off when you try to give it to the customer, you know? like. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, so I would challenge that it's not the 110 employees, it's that you're in a bad business. I, yeah, it, there's extenuating circumstances to it. And what I end up, um, I would say it got substantially better the last year that I had it because we, we really went and dove into org charts and we mm -hmm. drove in, we dove into, um, uh, letting the management have more, um, say so and leeway on what their decisions, so they had a dollar amount they could just make decisions on up to. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, and then really giving all of the employees who they answer to in that org chart and what their responsibility is up to, and then making the managers bring us their numbers and bring us their stuff. And then when we, we went through a book called traction and mm -hmm. literally just implemented it like chapter by chapter. And, uh, it broke our bottleneck. It really did. We went from 30, we were stuck at $37 million for three years and we went to $51 million and somebody bought us. Yeah. It's management 101. And yeah, um, you're the part of giving managers authority with their responsibility because I see it all the time. They're given responsibility. You need to get this outcome, but no authority. You have to check everything with me to get approval. Then they're just in purgatory. And I laugh at a, you. I laugh at the name of the bottleneck breakthrough because I was the bottleneck. And when oh, I every realized, business owner is. Yeah. yeah I, mean, I had a huge, huge problem because what I would always say is let me think about that. Cause I always wanted to like take a thoughtful time on my answers and get the right, right. answer. And then I ended up, um, I read a saying said, uh, said you make more do more harm by indecision than wrong or more harm by indecision than wrong decisions. Mm. And I said, uh, when I read that, man, I had to read that like 20 times. Cause I was just like, I'm, I'm like, man, I, I do that a lot. And then I started asking people in the company and they were like, Oh yeah. Like we don't even bring you half of our questions because we, you're either they too busy paralyzed, right? Yeah. You're, you're not going to get an answer anyway. Like it's too small. And then also, but they were bringing me stuff like, you know, should we buy, uh, this brand of paper towels or these brand of paper towels. Like it's like a 50 cent decision. And I'm like, I don't know, let me think about it. You know and I was like? Nothing. It was just like a mess of that. So I actually made myself a challenge and said, okay, I'm going to answer every question on the spot when somebody asked me. And I didn't actually did an announcement with the company at the time in front of all the employees. Cause I was like, dude, I got to do this publicly. Cause, and then all of a sudden things got way easier. And then I just gave them authority of like to a certain dollar amount. I'm like, here, whatever decision you make, just make it, you know? <laughs> well, and a good test for owners, managers in that situation, instead of just saying, I'm going to make a decision on the spot is just ask the person coming to you what they think should be done. <laughs> that's a great, great point. And that's, uh, I would say that that was what I developed into. I was like, okay, so what do you think? And that's when we started doing training around that. And I'm like, okay, so my, my uh, personal way was um, what we got to was, listen, 
uh, I expect you to make decisions and I expect you to be wrong. You know, I expect you to be make wrong decisions because you can't know the outcomes of what comes happens. But there's two things I want you to do. One, if I ask you why you made the decision, don't say I don't know. Like any thought process that you did to why you made the decision you did is okay with me. Because at least you thought through it and thought that was the best. I don't think you're going to do something the wrong way purposely, right? And then the other one was, if it's wrong, let's not do that again and figure out why it was wrong and then, and then improve from it. So if you improve from it and you had a reason why you made the decision, you'll never be in trouble with me. And, uh, yeah. and, and man, when we hit that mindset shift, it literally just unlocked the company. So back to you'll never do it with 110 employees again. Again, I, I think that that's a dangerous limiting belief for anyone <laughs> listening that is saying, oh, I don't want employees. I don't, I mean, I've heard it so many times by people that go into network marketing because they're like, oh, I don't have any employees. I just oh, have I don't an want army of people that work for me, <laughs> um, but they're not my employees and I don't have employee headaches and employee headaches are the worst and all this stuff. But the reality is it, it, wrong business model makes everything harder. Wrong yeah. industry makes everything harder. And management skills are what make employees a joy to work with. Yeah. That as your management skills go up, all of that, those employee headaches go away. I mean, I was just talking to a group of people yesterday that the, the biggest challenge for business owners is they feel that if they're going to double their revenue, that they're going to double their workload. It's mm -hmm. like, well, are you working twice as hard today as you were when you were making half as much? Like, no. Um, I mean, unless you're talking about a solopreneur doing a hundred grand versus 200 grand, that may be the case because they don't have any leverage and they're no, I was saying building no everything. And right. But if you're, if you got a million dollar company, an owner at $2 million is actually working less than when they were at a million because they've developed some operations managers, they've developed or an operations managers, they've developed some systems, they've developed their team, they've improved their marketing to get to 2 million. So things are easier at 2 million than they are at a million. If you yeah. do it right and go to two to four or two to, or two to 10, you're not going to work five times as much. So it's, it's the shift of becoming more for what the business needs of you as it evolves. What so. about under that million dollar number though? Cause I think that a lot of times in there, you're, you're kind of stuck in that hard spot. Like it's like you're as the leader, you feel like you can't afford people, you know, you've got to find that Again, leverage. It, it depends on your business model. I mean, I know guys making 300 grand that are have zero overhead. I know guys yeah. that have, um, are making 800 grand and barely getting by. They're yeah. paying their bills. So it depends on the business model. It depends on the um, profit margin. And I think that's where um, a lot of guys, a lot of business owners don't look through what they're charging and what their margins are because without profit, you can't have any kind of growth or leverage. It takes money to grow. And so mm -hmm. if you don't have the margin to hire the next incremental person to come on your team to increase your capacity so you can fulfill the demand, yeah, you'll never grow. But it's a problem of your price point and your your pricing structure. Um, I, I spoke at a conference in November, and um, one of the guys was talking about this exact issue that he's got a service business. He does uh, fertilizing and weed control, and he can't get he one guy fulfills a route, and he can't get enough new clients to hire a guy for a new route. So because if the more clients he gets, he doesn't have anybody to service him. So he needs the guy first. So he has to hire the employee, but the employee doesn't have anything to do, right? Because everybody's already at capacity. So then he puts a sal, he's paying this guy's salary, but now he doesn't have money to pay for the marketing to get this guy clients a route. So talking with him, we realized 
he's way over delivering on his on his services over engineered all of his um, services uh, around fertilization and weed control and so what we realized was if he cuts back his crews about 20 percent um, labor of, of fulfillment changes his pricing up maybe drops his pricing by five percent um, as a bump to clients all of a sudden he's gonna have more profit and then he can figure out some marketing maybe have some guys work overtime as he adds a route maybe he does some of it himself and then hires the guy and it's this constant balancing act but the problem was his economics he wasn't yeah. charging properly he was over delivering undercharging, and that happens a lot of times that's uh that's it, it, it um it must be fun to do that for you like i know i'm just from talking with you a little bit like i i enjoy talking to business owners and sometimes seeing something staring them in the face but they can't see it because they're they're too close to it, you know. And, yeah. Well, uh, and, and ignorance is and bliss. I mean, they don't have experience. Yeah. They don't have experience in looking at this stuff. So for me, yeah, it, it is fulfilling. It's a lot of variety. Yeah. And for me, it's really just sharing as much of this stuff because I get so sick and tired of guys saying, "Oh, buy my course, go to my program, come to my ten thousand dollar mastermind," and they don't deliver half this value. And I'm like business owners just need to be equipped because the more small business owners thrive and survive, the better our economy is, the better our world is, the more stable everybody is. Um, and small business drives America and it drives what has become the biggest economy in the world. So I, I just care that small business owners aren't ignorant and that they're able to continue growing and stretching and serving more people. See, that's another reason I thought you and I, I, I there's another part there because when I was a commercial banker, I was at a big name bank and we had a box and you didn't fit in the box, you got declined. Well, I produced uh, $44 million in loan applications in one year, which I think the next highest was like around seven. Mm -hmm. And I, and cause I was, I was a hustler, you know, I was used to doing, going to get my own business. The bankers were just sitting there. So I went, I got $44 million of the loan applications. We funded three of it, which put me number one in the state and, and <laughs> on the West coast anyway. And then, but, I would have been the number one banker at two other banks because I was walking. I would call the customer. I'm like, look, we can't do this loan. And they were just like heartbroken. And I'm like, I know who can do your deal. And I'm like, do you mind if I give it to so-and-so banker? Do you mind if I give mm -hmm. it to so-and-so banker? Cause I know I knew all the bank programs I was on a board mm -hmm. with them and I was walking their businesses over there. And, uh, you know, honestly, at the time, if the bank had known what I was doing, like, I don't know if they would have been real happy with me because I was giving bank to, I was giving the business to our competitors, sure. but I was so like ingrained to see that small business owner find that success and that thing that was going to help their business that I wanted to do it anyway, mm -hmm. you know, and, uh, and it, because I felt the same way you do, I was a small business owner. Like, and then if I had applied for a loan and I knew that most of these people would, and they didn't get the deal. They would just stop. They would just be like, well, I can't get a loan. They didn't know where to go. And so mm -hmm. um, that's, that's why I said, like, it must be fun for you to, to do that because I know what I felt when I would, when I would find these breakthroughs with, your, with these small business owners or find this loan that they needed to just, you know, was going to, uh, was going to just going to accelerate their business. Like mm -hmm. it almost felt like a win for me, you know, like it mm -hmm. was, it was fun for me to hop in you know, figured out. And I guess that's why I'm, I'm kind of, uh, in the, in the EPT. I don't know if you've ever read Alex Sharpen's EPT, the entrepreneurial personality mm -hmm. type, but like, as long as you've got momentum, basically you're, you're, you're like, you get high off fulfilled. Yeah, yeah. You get, it's like, man, this is great. And so like, I kind of was going to the businesses and was, I was getting 
I, I, I was getting out of it when I was seeing their businesses have breakthrough, even though it didn't affect me at all, mm-hmm. you know, that's really cool. That's, um, and so when you go in, when you go into, um, the, you know, when you, when you pull a new client in or someone calls you and they say, Hey, you know, uh, or they read your book, right. You just put out a book. Uh, yeah, I published it two years ago. I just did the audible for it a few months ago. Oh, cool. So it's on Kindle hardcover, uh, audible, uh, you can get it at Barnes and Noble, Amazon, wherever. Audible's a godsend for me because the second I start reading, I fall asleep. So uh, it's the only thing that puts me to sleep is reading. So Audible is a, is is my uh, is my jam. So um, so what what is uh, what what is your book about? Yeah, so it's called Bottleneck Breakthrough, and it's just about my process that I go through with clients to look at what their revenue plateau is, uh, the six levers of growth that I see businesses grow around. Everybody comes to me for marketing. They, everybody thinks they have a marketing problem. It's just the nature of small business because getting clients is the hardest thing and it's the foundation of a business. Peter Drucker said, if the purpose of a business is to create a customer. And so the first thing we have to do is take our innovation and then market that innovation. And so um, if, there's, if there's no marketing, if there's no client list, everything else is pointless. So everybody comes to me thinking they have a marketing problem. And early on, I would entertain that. And then I'd say, well, you actually have a systems problem. You're not, there's no tracking. There's no cycle for timing or seasonality, or um, you're just doing promotions. You're throwing uh, mud against the wall and seeing what sticks and then hustle and take that business. And then when you don't have clients then you do another promotion and it's just this fits and spurts, right? The roller coaster revenue. And so I saw marketing and systems really go hand in hand. Marketing creates growth, systems consolidate it. And that was the foundation of the book uh, when my wife challenged me to write it um, was, okay, marketing and systems. And then the ultimate bottleneck is mindset that the limiting beliefs of the owner, the fears, the traumas, the emotional, um, uh, emotional distortions, things of that nature that cause them to stop growing and stop becoming more for what their company needs them to be. And so those three became the real main levers that I, I worked around. But then obviously there's strategy of, business model, pricing, all the stuff we've talked about, and then management. How do you recruit, train, and retain your staff and and guide them and provide structure? And then your vision of what's the purpose? Why have this business? There's only three reasons to own a company. And so you either grow it to sell it, to get a pile of cash. Hopefully that changes your life. You grow it to become a cash cow so that you can get as much profit and time off from it, or you own a job. And so that out of those, those are all worthwhile opportunities, but what's the goal? Because each of those goals has different paths to achieve the, the ultimate outcome for you. Oh man, that, that you said it in a nutshell, you know, and uh, the, why do you have the business question for me is one that I find when I'm talking to entrepreneurs that they just don't ever ask, you know, they, if you, if you think like, if you want to, you know, they say, well, my business is worth, I'm like, well, would somebody buy it? Like, is it your job or is it somebody, because if somebody's going to buy this, they don't want your job. That's not why they're buying a business. They want to have a, a company, you know, you want the systems, the that. structure and the profit that come from it. That's yeah. it. You want to, you, in, 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 I mean, you hit the nail on the head, but when you start thinking that way, um, you realize that you, you need to, you need to delegate, you need to have systems, you need to have the people in the processes in that place because you need to be able to, would your business run without you? You know, and well, and, are, uh, it was and I, I don't mean completely out of the way, but I'm just kind of more in the, I don't know. 
to be the most attractive, I guess, is the is the least. You know, you don't want to. You nobody's gonna want to buy a place you got to work 70, 80 hours a week. Correct. Yeah. You know? Well, and like I read in a conversation between Peter Thiel and Reed Hoffman, Stanford roommates. They started. They were part of the PayPal mafia. Reed's gone on to start LinkedIn. Peter's a venture capitalist. Very successful guys. And Peter asked Reed. He says, "What percentage of small business owners do you think are sociopaths?" <laughs> um, and Reed's like, "Thirty uh, percent." Peter's like, "No, it's fifty percent." And so when you realize, like, that going back to Alex Scharf, and I like Alex, he's a, he's a bright guy. He talks about the entrepreneurial personality type. When you talk about what drives people to start businesses, they have a lot of vision. They tend to have ADD. They tend to be um, unemployable, that they, they don't work well with other bosses. Um, and they, they tend to be very, very driven. Um, the, the problem is that nobody challenges them and they're not willing to be challenged often. So that's when the sociopath kicks in that it's that I say that so many small business owners are using their small businesses, their little fiefdom, their little kingdom over the world to have control, to work out their issues, um, to, to make up for whatever emotional or trauma deficiencies they had in life. Um, and so the, the problem becomes that, they don't know how to delegate. They don't know how to let go of control because they're using this business to work out all of their internal issues. Um, and so I, I only work with business owners that are open to getting feedback and being challenged because I, I joke with, with bad clients years ago that, look, I'm not going to work harder to grow your business than you're willing to work. And a lot of that painful stuff that they don't want to deal with is internal because why are you yelling at your staff? No person on earth deserves to be yelled at at work. I've never yelled at anybody. And I grew up in a yelling household. And I've yelled at my kids when I'm at my last end years ago. And I've stopped doing it after growing and getting healed and healthy. But you don't, it, there's no reason to belittle or berate staff. So if you're not willing to change that behavior in you, I'm done. Like there's, I can't do anything because you're going to keep driving employees away and you're going to keep making vendors mad and you're going to keep pissing off clients. And What's the point? So I think that's the part that most small business owners haven't thought about why they're in business, what the point is, what the goal is, and doing any internal work. So that's why to me, the mindset chapter of my book is the most important. Mindset is the biggest bottleneck that prevents all businesses from growing. But I put it at the end because less than half of the clients I've ever worked with are willing to, to look at that stuff, willing to tackle it. And I didn't want to alienate everybody in the first chapter. So <laughs> well, it's also, you know, uh, part of it where it's your fault, right? Like as a business owner, like you, you, they, it's always like, well, no, I just need more leads or no, I just need, uh, I need better systems or I need more people or I need, and it's a lot of, of it is, you know, you need to personally grow up. No, no, all of it, a hundred percent of all business problems are stem from the owner. The fish, there's an old Chinese proverb that says the fish stinks from the head down. <laughs> and so whatever issues going on in your company that you don't like, it's your problem. The reason is because you own the company, you create the rules, you play the game, just make the rules, whatever you want. <laughs> I mean, it, it, you have a hundred percent control. And so the, I, I, when I was releasing my book, I, I wrote a, a lot on management and I really enjoy digging into management. I think that's where all the leverage to growth is in small businesses beyond the mindset. Um, and it's way more interesting than marketing. Marketing's pretty basic in my opinion. 
um, at this point, just from how much I've, I've done over the years. But I, I released a post and I said that I could solve 100% of your management problems with the outline in my book. And a buddy of mine who's a very experienced consultant, um, worked at a huge ad agency for years, was creative director, brilliant guy. He messaged me privately, he says, are you kind of making a are you, are you making too big of a claim? And I said, no, I don't think so. And he says, well, what about the owners that won't fire somebody? I was like, well, then they can't complain to me about their management problems because they're choosing mediocrity. And so it still solves, jokingly, it still solves the management problem because they're admitting they don't want to grow in that area and they're fine with having a bad employee. And so they can't complain to me about it. So they can't complain anymore. And so it still solves the problem in my opinion. But <laughs> That, at the end of the day, it all stems back to the owner. Yeah, yeah, and it's a uh, uh, you got to be a you got to be a little bit. I mean, you got to have a little bit of uh, ego. I think you think you have to have a little bit of ego to start, right? And then I think that that kind of manifests as the owner that it's hard to reflect inside because of that, right? You it, you know what I mean? Like it's it's very difficult to go. Okay, I'm gonna own a business and I'm gonna go do this stuff and I'm gonna I'm gonna put it laid on the line and go and you kind of it, it, it you have You're to taking have a risk i mean yeah you have yeah, to you have gotta confidence. be a risk taker and you gotta have confidence and so it's gonna work like that's why i'm doing it right and then right i mean we all know that everything is twice as hard at, that at least uh, uh, as we ever thought when we started and if we would have known how hard it was we probably wouldn't have started so that's the irony of any worthwhile endeavor. I like yeah. Steve so Prescott's you got to have book. that confidence and that little screw loose, you know, to go do it. But then you also got to have the humility, um, which I think is why when you meet a lot of people with successful businesses, it's usually not their first one, right? There's usually, uh, yeah, I mean, or, they, or they've yeah. grown up in one that's already there and it was a family thing. But like, I think a lot of times that a lot of the people that I work with and deal with and things, those kind of things like that have had, you know, that I, I think a lot of a lot of entrepreneurs have, have failed to figure out what was wrong, you know? Yeah, I mean, one of the greatest uh, gifts I was given when I was filing bankruptcy was my bankruptcy attorney, very seasoned, experienced guy, worked with some huge companies um, in Central California. And um, he said, welcome to the club. And I said, what do you mean? He says, oh, you'd, you'd be amazed at the successful guys that have filed bankruptcy or had multiple failures before they finally hit it. And he says, I actually know some investors that won't invest in somebody that hasn't already failed yet because they don't realize um, that, that they've been getting lucky. Well, I joke that, you know, I, I, I owned, <laughs> I have a screenshot where I've opened 13 businesses mm -hmm. and like three of them were good, <laughs> mm -hmm. you know, and it's almost, it's like the uh, Thomas Edison thing. Like he knows a thousand ways not to make a light bulb like that. I right. feel like you get your best lessons sometimes from that. And uh I needed yeah, that. I like Conor McGregor when he lost um, the first fight to Nick D or Nate Diaz. And afterward, he said, they said, how do you feel after the loss? He says, I don't lose. I win or I learn. Yeah. And I thought that was a really great reframe. Yeah. Yeah. No. And that's, uh, um, and he did too. <laughs> right. Uh, the second fight, the, um, but that's with my kids. I, you know, I, this is money talkers and we talk about how with parents and kids and the lessons and those kinds of things. And like, with my kids personally, like I tell them the same thing. I'm like, the only failure you have is if you don't try, right? If you mm -hmm. try and you fail, you learn. If you mm -hmm. try and you don't fail and you succeed, then you win. Like that's, mm -hmm. and, and what's really, uh, my, my five-year-old is in kindergarten and a month or so ago, he 
was telling me a story of this kid that was really upset at school and he said that to the kid and i was like wow i, I was i mean i gotta I, I, be honest with you, i choked up because i was like oh wow like it's not just a a little repeatable thing you know or whatever that you talk to them like it really sinks in even at five years old and he was telling this kid and he was like yeah and the kid i was like well, what happened then and he was like he felt better mm-hmm. and i was like wow man that's such a little impact you know those little those little things you can place in there that's great yeah it's just uh you know it, it's being mindful of those things though where that mindset piece you know as a parent you can you can apply it and i feel like i've been blessed by failing that now i look at things a lot differently you mm-hmm. know and they will learn they'll learn from my failures you know and hopefully that's how we can you know keep the next generation of kids and things going is that they should be better than us mm-hmm. if we if we share those things with them well and i think i think that's the challenge of parenting today is parents are everything's so soft and safe and nobody wants their kid to get hurt my kids are 8 10 and 12 right now and um so I see it a lot when I'm interacting, we homeschool. And so we're really involved and I see it with other parents that uh, they don't want to let their kids fail. And like yesterday we were at the beach and the waves were big. They're five to seven feet, which is big and powerful here in Hawaii. And uh, my kids went out into the waves and um, I didn't go with them. I was sitting, um, getting some, I had a phone call I had to take, but I was watching them and the youngest, she came back in wisely because they were too big for her. But my two oldest went out and swam past them. And there were three big sets that came in and they got stuck out there. And I just stood up, watched them, and they looked at me and I kind of gave them hand signals to when to swim in, when to go back out because it's a timing thing. And if you get stuck in the wrong spot, you're going through the uh, spin cycle and that's <laughs> no fun. And uh, it can be scary, especially for for little kids. But they nav- navigated it perfectly. And um, it was the first time they've been out in waves that big by themselves. Cause I go out there with them often. And so we've been out a lot. And uh, I, I think this is where that's a, just a little example of being willing to let your kid fail and get hurt. And not, neither of them were going to die over it. Um, and obviously I'd drop my phone and go jump in and save them if I needed, but it, it wasn't that big and that hairy. Uh, but it's, being willing to let them fail and teaching them that failure is okay. Because I think that's the problem. Like you look at a Cam Newton or even a Vince, what's his name? The quarterback that won at Texas and Vince Young, Vince Young. Thank you. These guys that have nothing but success and they never have any hardship. And then when they do fail as adults, it wrecks them and they just snap and they have no resilience, no fortitude. And so I think that's the part for us as parents is helping our kids understand, giving them more opportunities to be able to fail and then. Help yeah. Them. That's the hard part is not stepping in, you know, exactly. And, and then I always talk about this too, with people like if your kid brings you an idea for a business, you know, and mine does all the time. I have a five and eight year old. So my eight year old is, is just, she's, she's, <laughs> she, she wants me to tell her business stories at night instead of like, regular stories right she mm-hmm. just loves it she thinks that's how we connect and it she she just loves everything about entrepreneurship and stuff and so um uh she actually just asked me as, as i was over here she said because she called me and she was at lunch with my wife and uh at school and she said i told her where i was going and she asked me if she could come here tomorrow after school because <laughs> she doesn't see the podcast room so um, Fun. but you know that that thing where they bring you ideas and 
like you know it's not a good business idea but you need to explore those things and let them figure it out because i mm-hmm. got my best lessons when i failed you know mm-hmm. um i it, it it was it was a tough pill to swallow but uh it needed to happen you know and that was a thing like so with them the hard part is not stepping in like you're talking about like you sh- you could have easily just been like stay there wait i'm coming out there to get you like you know Mm-hmm. And you say, okay, no, it's time to stand on your two feet and let you, and you know, you, and you do it within a realm, you know, like you said, you're watching them, you're, you're, you're there to go ultimately as the safety net, but sometimes you got to fall off the rope and hit the safety net, you know, mm-hmm. otherwise you don't learn how to, how to walk on the rope. So. Yeah. I mean, it's like our youngest, she's working on her reading and I'm like, well, tell me what this says. And the oldest wants to jump in and I'm like, if you keep reading for her, she's never going to learn. Like, yeah, this yeah, is, that's a fun game. <laughs> this is the basics, right? I mean, this is like the the issues around um, uh, around providing aid on every level, right? Like they say at the at the um, national parks, don't feed the bears because then they get dependent on you. Well, it's all it's the whole gamut of all of that to help people become self-sufficient become equipped be, be able to take action and be able to get results so how do you do that well you equip train and set up environments for them to test a lot and take experiments that don't ruin their lives if they make a mistake and i like that um well i mean we're, we're catching up on time i think we could probably go for another hour but uh um listen i really enjoy talking with you um, yes yeah, it's great this is uh i think we've got a lot of the same mindset stuff and experiences and uh you know it's it's fun to it's fun to have somebody that that sees the world a lot like you do um and so i really appreciate you sharing your time and your experiences with us and your uh, yeah my pleasure and your parenting and things and so uh listen josh if they want to find more josh long where they uh what's the best place that people can reach out to you to connect with you to learn more about what you're doing yeah so i'm on facebook linkedin um i've got an Instagram account, but it's just for mostly friends and family pictures, but bottlenickbreakthrough.com is the website. Uh, I've got a Facebook group called uh, Bottleneck Breakthrough Method, where I just share freely all of this stuff to help small business owners and keep improving. And so all of those are available. The book, like I said, it points back to all sorts of resources. I'm not hard to get a hold of and um, look forward to helping you. Awesome, man. Well, thank you. Uh, hope you guys, Money Talkers, hope you guys uh, enjoyed this episode and uh, check us out. We're going to do a high impact one where I'm going to bring uh, the big the big question to Josh and see what uh, we can come up with for you guys. So uh, thanks again. Thank you for listening to another episode of Money Talkers with me, your host, Cody Laughlin. If you found this episode helpful in your pursuit of financial dominance, it really helps if you make sure to leave a five-star rating and share it with your friends or family members who could use good financial information and entrepreneurial success tips. I invite you to join the Money Talkers Community Facebook group. Open Facebook and search for Money Talkers to join today. Follow us on Instagram at the Money Talkers for inspirational mindset posts, encouragement, and investing tips. And remember, the one thing you can do to change your kids financial future is to start talking about money with them because you are a money talker